So once a month, um, our staff goes to court, not because we have to go to court, but because we want to go to court, because we are always learning, and that only helps improve what we're doing as a company and services to our client. And again, it kind of goes back to what I said before. We want to make this a customer experience and not a transaction, and that's what's really important to us as a company. It is a common saying amongst real estate investors that you make money when you buy, not when you sell. While this catchy phrase has value, it fails to convey how easy it is to lose money through poor property management. Whether you self-manage or hire a professional, it is important to understand how to navigate the common pitfalls and challenges with rental properties without losing your shirt or your mind. That's why you have tuned in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. I'm your host, John Stiles, real estate agent and team leader of the VIP Real Estate Group at Bridge Realty. As a current multifamily investor and former property manager myself, I understand the headaches and difficulties of keeping an investment property from becoming a money pit and time sucker. It takes a solid business plan, it takes tested systems, and it takes key team members to actually find success. So let's take a deep dive and maximize your property value. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Maximizing Your Property Value. This is the show where we dive into best practices for managing a property as a business rather than just a side hobby. So I am so excited to have with me today in studio Deb Newell, who is the owner of Real-Time Leasing. Deb, thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you very much. And Deb, uh, could you... Talk to us a little bit about your history, about your yourself and your company, and, and what you're all about. Of course. So Real-Time Leasing was started in 2001 in the Twin Cities. We have been around, so, what, 19, almost 19 years now. And uh, we manage single-family homes, small, um, anything up to, you know, we say 20 or 30 units is really what we handle. Um, so we have a lot of townhomes, condos, fourplexes. We have some fiveplexes and a lot of single-family homes. I think the majority of our portfolio, so about 73% of our portfolio is just single-family homes. And then we have multiple owners who have more than one property. So we have owners who will own more than one. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about the geography that you service. Are sure. you in the, all over the Twin so Cities? So we are or? actually all over the Twin Cities. We're, our, our headquarters are in Egan. Um, so we're south of the rivers where we're, where we're based, but we have properties, um, in a lot of different counties. So Hennepin County, Ramsey County, Anoka County. Um, I think we even have Chicago County, which is, I know pretty far, but, um, really the technology that we have in place allows us to do property management, um, still re remotely yet automated. I don't know if that makes any sense, but we have some tools in place that allow us based off our software, um, how we handle showings, applications. We have a great team um, and it's allowed us to actually grow our portfolio exponentially um, because of the tools that we have um, implemented and put in place for that. Okay. And can you tell us a little bit about maybe how your company started and what's maybe some of the evolution of yeah, what, how I mean, it got to today? So it's kind of a weird, funny story. I always tell when people say, well, how'd you get into property management? And I always say stupidity because it wasn't like something you grow up and say, hey, I want to be a property manager because nobody really thinks about all that goes into actually managing property. So I actually managed my own. So I had 34 units up to as a kind of, so I really started from the ground up. I, um, I, I did it really to get out of debt. 
So I partnered with somebody, a friend of ours, and um, partnered with him, and he he actually bought the first investment property, but I did all the work. So um, that included maintenance, rehabbing it, everything. And then we sold that, made a profit, and then we split that the way that we had agreed upon. And then from there, I kept buying more. And I bought distressed properties. I started renovating them. And it was really just a hobby that kind of turned into an, a business, really for myself. So as I got to about 20 plus doors and I kept growing, you, you just meet people. So as you're buying and you're sitting across the buying table and you're meeting the people who are selling it and they're like, well, you know, that realtor was like, well, I have another client that's, you know, would you be interested? And I was like, sure, it can't be that hard. Like I'm doing my own. So uh, it started off very um, organically and not with the intent at all to grow it to where it is today. Um, but I enjoyed it. And so I did everything. I was the leasing agent. I was the marketing agent. I was the property manager. I was the maintenance coordinator slash manager. I, I did it all. So I think that was really important for me to understand everything that went into managing a property so I could really understand the dynamics, become sympathetic to situations, understand how tenants think, um, dealing with, you know, Section 8 tenants and how the voucher program works, like learning all aspects of it. Um, of course, experimenting on my own properties was probably the safest way to even do it because I, you know, it was it was money lost if it was, it was on me, not on anybody else. So as I took on more properties and I kind of grew, as I got to 50 doors, I hired one of my first employees who's still with me today. And she actually is my general manager and manages the entire um, operations. But um, it, it just kind of really honestly just grew organically without any intent to where it is today. But as I got into this, it became fun and I enjoyed it, which I can say a lot of people probably don't. It takes a very unique personality to understand the nuances that go into it day in and day night and in, and in the evening and on the weekends and on the holidays. And, you know, there's a lot of late nights, a lot of long working days, a lot of no vacations for years but I was okay with it, and it was, and it's, I'm still enjoying what I do. So that's kind of how it grew. And you know, as we grew, we bought a building, and then you know, and then it kind of grew from there. We got bigger, and just we kept moving offices, and and now I just have a very good core team. I learned over the course of doing this over 19 years, lean management, the understanding of. Um, I took a lot of different um, courses continued my education so I could understand how to, that's the other piece I don't think people realize is you're now managing people. So you go into this and you're thinking you're just managing a property and you are managing tenants to a point, but now you're the middleman stuck, you know, your, your fiduciary responsibilities to the owner who's our client who has the asset, but we still need to make the tenant happy. And then I have a team behind me who I still need to manage as well. So it was really important for me to continue to grow myself to understand how I can manage all of that and still be successful with the company. Yeah. So what's the makeup of your company now? Like how many staff do you have? Or so I run a very lean environment. I believe in, um, I, I don't know if anybody's familiar with Six Sigma, but I um, practice Six Sigma and I practice EOS. And one of the things that they focus on is running, you know, managing your departments very, you know, in a lean way. Um, I think it's important to help people be more, um, feel like they have the autonomy to run with what they have, give them the tools to do that. So I have a team of five 
and we have um, just over 500 doors in the Twin Cities. And um, we're not the largest. We're not necessarily trying to be the largest. We actually really focus on the customer experience more than I worry about how many doors that I'm having. Um, and that's five, not including myself. I don't really do that much. I'm more of a passive owner, but I still oversee the operations of the business. Um, and then we actually have a maintenance company as well. So the maintenance company I started in 2009, and that was really out of need and necessity because of the maintenance that was needed on the properties. And I felt that I could, based off of my own skills, grow that. So I became the general contractor, got more education on that, and then put a team together for that as well. So it's been a very good marriage of those two companies to help one another. Um, and it offers our clients actually a really great um, opportunity to have all that done together and um, at a lesser price. So each, everybody is really, we have kind of more of a hybrid um, style management. So we have, it's kind of portfolio slash department and we kind of, those are hybrid. So we do have an accounting department. I do have um, somebody who handles uh, marketing and then I have a leasing department and property management. Okay. Wonderful. Well, very good. Thanks for mm -hmm. that overview of, sure. of where you're at. So I think that um, a lot of small property owners that might have, you know, one to 40 units or so, mm -hmm. um, they're often either managing themselves or maybe they have a manager that right. they might not be satisfied with. Um, what do you think are some key questions that they should be asking yourself maybe as you, they go to interview you about if you're a good fit? Well, I think there's a there's a lot of things that they should check on. They should, you know, it, it, for example, in Minnesota, you have to be licensed. I have taken on, we've taken on many clients who have been with a previous manager who isn't licensed, who's just, I, I don't know where they find the person, but somehow that they're just managing property. So that's kind of a key thing is to make sure that they're a licensed realtor or it's a brokerage and um, that they, you know, they ask the questions on, you know, how do, how do you handle deposit dispositions? How do you handle maintenance, you know, it, service requests that come in, work orders? Um, when rent's not paid, how do you address that? Um, how do you handle evictions? I mean, it's a lot of those common questions that owners do ask us because those are the things that they've had to deal with. We try not to be reactive. We actually try to be very proactive in how we handle and manage properties. And I think that's really key because a lot of times you find yourselves in a very reactive mode because somebody didn't pay the rent and you don't have a process in place. I can say after doing this for so many years, one of the things I did early on was establish policies and procedures and processes. I think that's very important. And so everything we do is written down. And so we have um, either it's templates or we have the process written down on how to, how to screen an applicant and what are all the requirements that are needed to do that. And also we're following the law. So, uh, you know, not just fair housing, but there's a lot of um, city ordinances that we have to abide by. You know, city of Minneapolis continually changes things and we have to stay on top of that. And that's really important. So we continually also get educated every year, not just on the real estate side, but also with the city. So we're attending those classes, trying to learn what's important um, that we need to know so that we're not doing anything out of the order. So a lot of times people will come to us and, and not realize that there's rental, li rental license ordinances or they understand it, but they don't really understand what goes into it. So we have the tools to be able to do that. We actually attend the inspections and we provide all of that information to the owner. And one of the things I really believe 
is to be very transparent in everything we do. So every step of the way from the moment that we market a property to get an applicant to signing the lease, we are very transparent with the owner and let them know along all of it, what's going on. They don't have to necessarily communicate back. We're not telling them that they have to, but we actually are communicating to them so that they feel engaged and not going, you know, my property's been on the market for 20 days. What's going on? So instead, every week we have a system in place to say, this is what's going on with your property. This is how many people looked at it. And it all has to do with the technology that we have on the back end that allows us to see those metrics. Nice. Well, we'll have to get into that technology before I let you go here. Sure. What exactly you use. I'm kind but... of a geek when it comes to technology. <laughs> I okay. love that stuff. Wonderful. But one more <laughs> question about looking for a good property manager. What would you say would be your key to success for being in the business for so long? I think, you know... Oh, uh... yeah. I get that question a lot. So, <laughs> thick skin. Um, which is, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but it's kind of half true, right? You can't, you know, this is one of those businesses where nobody's ever happy. What I mean by that is tenants are paying you rent, right? We understand that. They have to. It's an obligation. We have to pay our mortgage if we have if we own a home. Um, it, it's, just, it's a contract we sign, so we understand that. But sometimes tenants tend to not understand all of the, you know, something may have broken in the last month and they're frustrated. So it's a maintenance issue that they may or may not have told us about. And if they don't tell us, it, you know, they're frustrated. We have to understand why they're frustrated. And then we have to just manage all of that piece of it. So it's a lot of psychology that goes into um, working with tenants and with owners, actually, and making sure everyone understands that what we're doing is not to be difficult by any means. We're, we're trying to be, we want to be very compliant with both the laws and with, you know, what's going on. Um, but we also have to remind the tenants, we don't own the asset. And so we are managing as a third party for somebody who does and who has chosen to hire us and we are acting as their agent. And in that responsibility, we have to enforce the lease and sometimes that becomes a difficult thing to do. And so we're you know, dealing with people who have maintenance issues, who are frustrated because they have a late fee and they don't understand why. Um, they have to pay the rent on a certain day by a certain day. And so even though they signed a contract in the beginning, like most people, we don't read our, you know, our phones, contracts, right? A lot of people don't read their contracts. And so we are responsible for helping them um, really stick to the, the terms of the contract is what we're doing. Yeah. And so developing that thick skin and all those Yeah. Situations. So I think what's really good for a property manager is, is, is understanding all aspects of what goes into it. And it, it really is a relationship business. It's, um, there's a lot of companies that I've seen come and go, not necessarily in the Twin Cities, but throughout the country who have tried to do it just by technology only and to be a very, you know, hands-off property manager, so to speak, and not have any interface or any interaction at all with the tenant. Showings are all completely done, you know, by the prospect. They sign a lease, you know, digitally. We do some of these things as well, but we also have a brick and mortar. We want the people to come in. We want them to engage with us. In fact, that when they move into a property, they have to come to our office. And we want that because we want to have that interaction with them so they know who we are. They can see who their property manager is. It becomes a little bit more personable. So my philosophy is to make this more of a customer experience and not a transaction. And so that's been very important to me. Is And I feel like we have a very good team that does that and allows for that. 
but I've run into, you know, people who make it more as a transaction. And so it's impersonal and, and that's not what tenants want. This is, this is an emotional thing for them. They're giving up something every month and they're living in something that's not theirs and they know this. So they want a little bit more hands-on and that's what we try to provide for them. Okay. And you know, a lot. Of, I tell people if you're looking to hire a property manager, if you're if you're looking to, you know, um, engage with a property management company, look for how not just how they do their processes, right? On on how you do an application and how you sign a lease, but talk to the people, and it, it, you know, your gut's going to play into this as well. So if you feel good about them, and the rest will click. And if you know, I always tell people. Pretty much, there's there's several of us out there in the Twin Cities, and we all relatively do the same thing. Our fee structures are all pretty much within, you know, ten or twenty dollars of each other every month. So it becomes a very competitive market. But every one of us is different in the culture of our company and how we actually do our business. Yep. Oh, very good. Well, let's take a moment and talk about the technology piece. Okay. Um, which software do you guys use? We use Propertyware. So. Um, and there's lots out there. And there's Atfolio, there's Yardi, there's Buildium, there's Rent Manager, there's Propertyware, there's Promise, there's a whole bunch. It's really, um, and we, you know, we foot the bill for that. So every month we're paying for that. We're paying for other technology to allow us to do showings online, um, to schedule a showing online. Um, we're the application process as well. That's another piece of the technology that we're using. Um, and we have chosen to not put all of our, I always say, don't, we don't put all of our eggs in one basket. So Propertyware is kind of our core base. It's our um, database of all of our information for our tenants, our owners, it issues the owner statements. It handles all the billing. Um, it works with our maintenance company on handling some of that billing. A maintenance company has their own software as well. We have inspection software. So there's a lot of things that we do that integrates with our core application um, because of the open API. So we've taken advantage of that and be able to utilize those different programs. And the reason why the systems that we've chosen um, has been a lot of research. Sometimes we switch systems because it's technology and we're going with a third party vendor and we're trying to find the best solution that will be as automated and also easy to use as possible and easy to read. So on the end, for the end user, you know, the UI has to be, you know, if the tenant is trying to schedule showing, but it's really confusing and clunky, it's not going to work. And it just causes more problems and it's money wasted. Um, so we've basically incorporated all of that into everything that we do on a daily basis. So on average, I can tell you that property management companies use between five and eight different systems that they are utilizing just to run their company. Um, so it's, you know, it's not, and that's what makes us a little bit different is that we're trying to find always the best technology, be very forward thinking in how we present what we do for our services and how we are interacting with our tenants, communication, whether it be through texting. Um, so we have texting tools in place as well. Um, and we utilize all of that. Yeah. When you say the five to eight different systems, yeah. what, what do you mean by that? So we have a showing software. We have a um, texting software. We have maintenance software. So for inspections, we have the core base application, which is Propertyware. And um, we have application software. I may have said that already. but um, And then we have our workflow automation. 
So um, like some people use with Sauna or Trello or Podio or HubSpot. So that's what I mean by workflow automation. So we have something like that in place and that allows us to be very consistent on everything that we do. So when th certain things come in, that whether it's an application or a lease or a lease renewal, that process is automated for us and then it's easy to handle. Nice. Mm -hmm. We'll have to get into some of those processes in sure. a moment. Um, you, you mentioned earlier about being a property manager, having thick skin. Yeah. Um, you know, in this, in this business, you often have to be able to laugh at yourself or be able to mm -hmm. laugh at the situation. Um, and you, there's always something new every day. What's, what's an experience that you've had recently that was like, oh, I haven't, that's something new. I always want to say, I think I've seen it all, but sometimes you just get surprised by certain things, right? So um, I, I'm trying to think if there's anything in particular. You know, um, I can tell you right now, ESA animals are kind of a big deal. Um, and um, what I try to help owners understand is there's a difference between a pet and an animal. And ADA animals are also different. So one of the things I educate um, owners on and other um, property management companies around the country is that um, an ADA animal, I'm going to ask you, John, what's, how, what is an ADA animal? There's two. Uh, so what is, I mean, what's, what's the AD, definition? Yeah. Well, what's an ADA? Yeah. So an ADA, what's ADA? I don't know. So ADA is um, a physical disability, right? So you're either blind and I can see that you're blind or you're deaf and it's, you know, we can see that somehow there's tools that allow us to know that you're deaf or there's some physical disability that I can see. There's only two animals that are allowed for ADA and that is a dog and a horse, okay. a small horse, a miniature horse. But ESA is different. ESA is your emotional support animal. Okay. And that is also now protected by the government, right? By federal um, laws and HUD. So ESA animal can be anything. And we've heard some of the stories, right? We've heard peacocks and on planes and, uh, snakes and I mean it can be anything so an ESA animal truly can be any animal and um, but one of the things is we we take precautions another system that we use is we actually have a pet screening um, process that we use it's a third-party application so if somebody comes to us and says well I have I have an ESA animal and they have to actually get screened. They have to provide a note from the doctor. We don't do any of it. It's actually all done third party. So they verify that it's an actual ESA animal and it's um, not a pet. And so it meets all of those qualifications. If it does, then we have to allow it by law. And that's a sometimes a mistake that owners forget to do because if they, they can't charge a pet fee for it and you can't charge pet rent because it's not a pet. It's an ESA animal. A pet is different. So pet, you can charge a pet fee or pet deposit or pet rent. And if they don't fall under those qualifications, that ESA animal now becomes a pet. And so we always get crazy um, requests for pets or for ESA animals and, you know, people trying to pass off a pet as an ESA animal. And um, we've had one person who had several um, emotional disabilities and uh, like 15 and wanted a cat for each one. So, um, and supposedly had a note for each particular cat for each of the disabilities. Okay. That's well, kind of crazy. <laughs> that is really crazy. So, uh, what, how did we handle that? How do you handle that? Well, I can tell you that all 15 weren't ESA animals. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, there comes a point where it's one animal can cover several 
of your, you know, whether it be anxiety or, you know, there's a myriad of, you know, things that it could cover. So we only allowed two and the rest were, well, we actually, for we didn't allow her because it actually over exceeded what the owner would allow. So that's the other thing. Owners can dictate. And we also manage properties that are in townhome associations. So there are limitations on how many pets are allowed or animals. And um, so it kind of over, it was too many because not every single one of them was an ESA animal. So then it became over the limit of pets. And so that we couldn't rent. Yep. Yeah. That's, I think, a huge issue, a huge concern that people have these days. It is. It's pretty scary. That's nice that you found this company that yeah. that will screen them for you. I can. You want me to know it? Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. It's fr- it's free, so it's free for anybody. It's called PetScreening.com. Okay. And the so as a property owner, if you manage a couple properties and you're like, gosh, this is something I'd love to engage with, you can go to PetScreening.com. I honestly wish I like invented this because I feel like I'd be like a gazillionaire, but you can go there and you can register as a property owner or property management company and you register your company. It's completely free. It will cost only the applicant $20 for the first pet and 15 for the second and then 15 thereafter, depending on how many pets you allow only if it's a pet. So they actually have the opportunity to screen the, um, the animal first Pen, you know, providing the information, and if it's not an ESA animal, then they have to pay the twenty dollars. Okay. And then if an owner has in place or a company has in place a pet fee, then they have to pay that pet fee as well. So just like when you apply for a property for rent and you have to pay an application fee, it's you're pretty much paying an application fee for your pet. Okay. Which so we're checking references, photo. We require vaccination records, photos, and. Um, uh, it's kind of funny. You kind of, you get a paw score, which is, you know, you, you get a, you get a, when you get a FICO score, it's like, it's the same thing. Um, and what we're looking for is we obviously, the references are really important to us, but also vaccination records are very important. So that's a requirement for our company um, because you just never know what could happen down the road. And that's the one thing I'm, I'm trying, I believe in risk mitigation as much as possible. And that's one reason why people hire us is that we have all of these tools in place and all of these processes in place to handle that. And so we know what to do when encountered with a certain situation. We've pretty much been to court for every situation possible and not just for non-payment of rent. And that actually, and we actually, so once a month, um, our staff goes to court, not because we have to go to court, but because we want to go to court, because we are always learning and that only helps improve what we're doing as a company and services to our client. And again, it kind of goes back to what I said before. We want to make this a customer experience and not a transaction. And that's what's really important to us as a company. That's really interesting. So you go and just observe other mm-hmm. cases? Yeah, it's fascinating. It's kind of fun. Especially, and you know what? That your stress doesn't, you, you, when you go there just to observe, it's, part of it's comical. Part of it, you know, so a little comedy relief is always, you know, that levity is very important in our business. As you said earlier, you, you, you know, it's, it's important to be able to laugh at ourselves and laugh at situations. But understanding, though, that even though something may be comical to us, it's truly an emotional situation for somebody else. And so we have to recognize that. And how do we handle those situations? And that teaches us that sympathy and the way to really manage people and to work with them and to be understanding. Because, you know, I've learned 
part of this is just age, right? But you learn that there's two sides to every story. So a tenant may be really frustrated and mad, but there's usually a reason not, you know, we're the, we're kind of the symptom, but what's the root cause of why they're really upset? And it may not be us at all, but they're taking it out on us. So it's our job to kind of figure out what's going on because something may come up out of the blue and you may not understand well, what happened. Yep. You know, it's often said about property management, it's not a matter of if you're going to court, it's a matter of when you're going to yeah, court. So be prepared. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's huge. Um, just even calming your nerves for just like, which room do I go to? And it's really nerve wracking. Even if you're prepared, if your heart still like races, you cut, you know, some people sweat. It's just, it's, it's not fun because you're, you know, and we do this on behalf of the owners and for owners to do it. Um, and, and here's the other piece of it, John, is that not all of this is, we're very fortunate, I think, through the years and much and all of the experience that we have that we can build solid cases and we're very f- comfortable going to court and very comfortable with knowing that we probably could, you know, excel in court. But I've seen many, many times owners become unprepared or the first reaction, which is anger, happens and they're just mad at the tenant for whatever reason and that's not a good emotion to display. One, the judge doesn't like it, right? We all know that. And the second thing is it it doesn't get you anywhere. So it's to take a step back and look at the facts and just say, was this even fair? There's often times when we've done a deposit disposition and we've made a mistake and and we've admittedly will acknowledge that. So if a tenant comes back to us and they have a time period afterwards to say, hey, this is wrong and this is why, and they can provide proof of why, we're the first to say, you're right, and here's some extra money back. Like, we don't, we're not here to take anybody's money. We're just here to make sure that the asset that the owner is having us manage is back to its original condition in some form or fashion, less wear and tear. And we're looking for anything malicious above normal wear and tear and things like that. And we know, again, this is money. Money makes people crazy. And when people don't get it back, we, we really want them to give it back. So part of, again, our process during that whole renewal period or when that lease ends is making sure that there's steps in place to inform the tenant along the way before you move out. These are everything. These are all the steps that you need to take on your end as you follow the contract to be able to move out and get your deposit back. That if we can give them their deposit back almost in full, it makes our job actually so much easier because we can turn that property over to lease it out to another tenant. And that's really the end goal. We don't want to get back a property that's trashed or a, you know, a mess for us to have to take care of. It makes the owner upset. They think that you know, the tenant was a bad tenant, which doesn't really mean that we're a bad tenant. It just means that they just didn't take care of the property. They could be a great tenant. They paid their rent on time, but they just didn't take care of it. But we also have steps in place to inspect the property as well. And so there's a lot of things that, you know, we have put, again, going back to the whole processes, why that's so important is that we want to be compliant and we want a good end result. So they always say that tenants never really remember what happened when they first move in. So you can give them gift baskets and all this stuff. And it sounds great to do when they first come in, but our experience has been trying to do things throughout the year, not just one time. So making their experience through the course of leasing from us good all the time. So when they leave the property, they actually leave not happier per se, but 
that they had a good experience, that we weren't a bad company because, you know, in the end, we're the landlord, so we're always the big bad company. <laughs> right. Hey, everybody. I'm interrupting the show quick because I wanted to invite you to a special event that I'm hosting at the end of 2019. You know, the end of the year during the holidays is a great time to be getting together with friends and family, making new memories and even new traditions. One new tradition that my family started a few years ago is volunteering at Feed My Starving Children. If you haven't heard of this organization, you should definitely check out their website. It's fmsc.org. Basically, they utilize volunteers to pack nutritious meals, and then they send those meals overseas to different areas of the world that have a significant need for food. These meals have made a huge impact in thousands of people's lives. And I really like volunteering with Feed My Starving Children for two main reasons. Number one, it gives you a tangible way to give back. It's not just giving money, which of course is important, but it allows you to use your time and your energy alongside of other people in a common cause. And number two, it fosters discussion of how we can live our lives serving others and not just be focused on ourselves. And since this is a family-friendly event, it allows us to live out this mindset right along with our children. So would you consider joining me? I've reserved 50 spots, and this is room for you, a friend, a loved one to join with us and help out the cause. It would be really amazing to see you there. The date, time, and location is in the show notes. There's also a link that allows you to sign up and let us know that you're going to be there. And you can share that link with other people that you think might be interested. So thanks so much for considering it. Now, let's get back to the show. Well, that's a great transition into my next question, which has to do with customer service. And sure. I think you would agree that that's a huge part of this business so what systems have you developed to provide a great customer service, customer experience for the tenant? Well, I think that goes back to some of the systems I mentioned that we have all have some automated pieces into them. So we're, um, we have part of our core system allows us to email periodically, check-ins, reminders, um, we have a filter uh, filter program, so that actually filters get sent to the tenant. They're branded with our name, and they get sent every two months. Yeah, every two months to the tenant to encourage them to change. So again, we're providing them tools. We're giving them the resources they need to actually, you know, follow the contract and do what they need to do. Um, we're trying to make this whole thing like. Well, kind of like you touched on, just more of an experience. But I think it goes back to it's not so much a system or a tool in place. It's the people. So it's making sure that us on the back end, who's you know behind all of that, behind the curtain, right, Oz, um, that we're also being there for them should they need us, whether it be the owner or the tenant, that we're accessible. So that's a, I think that's a big one, right? Nobody wants – I mean, we do have a phone tree, so if you call – and you don't have our extension, you're going to probably get the phone tree. That phone tree will take us to whoever you need. And the idea is that you can reach somebody. Yep. Well, not to have you give away all your secrets, but what company is that that brands filters and sends them to your tenants? It's called Second Nature. Okay. It's out of, they're, oh, where are they out of? They're North Carolina. Okay. Second Nature. There's nice. actually a couple, and I can tell you this comfortably. There are, one of the things I've done over the years is I've actually tried to be as friendly as I can and, and with my competitors. I think that's really important, right? There's enough business for all of us. And so um, there's several property management companies that I'm, 
actually friends with, we've gone out to dinner with. I mean, um, and I think that's really important because not all of us do business the same. And I said that in the beginning. Um, and some of us only concentrate in certain areas or some of us only do single family homes. None of us, you know, some don't do duplexes and some don't do townhomes. And so we each kind of have our own little niche and that makes it really easy to work with them. But there's a couple other companies that use Second Nature as well, which is great because it's we're implementing um, something that is to help our tenants and to actually help the property. In the end, this is really to help the owner maintain the property. It's preventative maintenance, which I think is really important. Yep. Yeah, I can see how that's really great. It's a, it's a point of contact with the tenant, so mm-hmm. they know you're still there. Yes. And um, branding it really ties the gift back to yourself and exactly. helps them take responsibility for this is an action that they need to take. Yeah, down. exactly. And it's in their lease, right? You, you change the furnace filters. We're now just providing that for them. Yep. Wonderful. So let's move on to customer service as it relates to our property owners. Okay. And some investors talk about their relationship with the management company as they need to manage the manager. Yeah, we don't like that. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to be honest, nobody really likes to be micromanaged, right? Um, So if they feel they have to do that, that means we're not doing a good job. So we're doing something wrong. And I've also learned that sometimes we may not be a good fit, and that's okay. Um, If the owner, for whatever reason, feels like they have to manage us, and it's not because we're not doing a good job, but they just feel that way, we're probably not going to be a good fit. Um, We're at a size now where that just isn't conducive to the rest of our business and it won't work because then we are ignoring other clients and that's not our intent. Again, it goes back to the systems we have in place that are automated that will allow us to do the the amount of property, you know, manage the amount of properties that we have and continue to grow. Um, now, if it, it's because they don't think we're doing a good job, I am the first to say, please tell me what we're doing wrong. And if it's something that we truly can fix and it's something that we've done, we want to fix it and we want to correct that. Um, just like with any relationship, whether it be a friendship, a marriage, people have disagreements, but I think it's important to talk through those disagreements because that's how you get to that next level in that relationship. And I believe the same thing with owners. I would hate for an owner to be upset with me almost throughout the entire course of the contract and never tell me, and then all of a sudden cancel me and then like have this laundry list of, well, you did this and this, or didn't do this and this. I... I'm like, just tell me what we could have done. If it's something we could have changed, if it's a process that we need to review, it didn't make sense, and it would benefit other clients, I'd love to know. So I'm one of those people who actually likes feedback, and I want to hear that constructive criticism because it only will make us a better company. And I, you know, I'm the first to admit in the beginning, we made a lot of mistakes. Um, And what we only learned from them, and I have actually had clients with me since the beginning, which... I think is a testament to say that they've been patient, I've been patient, and they've grown with us, and I think that they can see that we have withstood this whole business, and and I believe that would be right there a good testimony to say they are trying hard. This is a really hard business to get into, and I don't mean just because of managing properties. There's so much back-end expense and over overhead that you have to manage in addition to taking care of the client's assets that getting into this people forget that there's a lot of time and expense involved that can stress people out and realize that if you know they have to hit x amount of properties to be able to sustain 
the business itself. So we have insurance and we are, you know, we are protected with our general liability, our E&O, our workers comp, and those aren't free. Um, and so some of this is business expense to run a business. I get that. Um, but, and we, I've taken on that responsibility of, of covering all of those costs, but it's to better our company as well and to be protected, to be compliant. Um, those are the things that owners should want in a company to make sure that they're covered and protected. And our fiduciary responsibility again is to that client and to make sure that their asset is taken care of and that we're also following all of that. Yep. Wonderful. Um, so you talked about earlier about providing a customer experience throughout the time mm -hmm. period that a tenant is at the property. Yep. What types of things have you been able to do, maybe especially at some of the larger properties, to like create community or mm -hmm. just an experience where they enjoy being sure. there? So if you think about the whole life cycle of property management, and that's what I call it, and that life cycle is from the beginning where you're marketing a property so you kind of think through how does that work? So you, you onboard a property. So you're marketing the property, you're leasing the property, you're um, moving in a tenant. And then what happens during the 12 months that a tenant's living there? You have maintenance, you have accounting, you have um, the lease renewal process. So what we do to make this more of an experience is we have steps in place with each of those processes during that entire life cycle. If it's for a community, we have small apartment buildings that we manage. We actually try to, um, we, we actually do fun little things throughout um, the year. So on our social media, we'll do, you know, free giveaways, um, you know, like us on Facebook or like this post and the first one gets something, you know, free or something like that. We, we try to do fun little things um, to make it enjoyable for the tenants and not so um, stress, stressful, right? Um, and we visit the properties, we go on site, we visit them, we want to make sure that the common areas are clean and um, that we're taking care of those things. And if we need to, you know, address anything, if we need to have a, a cookout or a barbecue on certain holidays, we'll try to do something like that. So just trying to... Um, and then we also do stuff at the office too. So having them come into the office, trick or treating, whatever, it's kind of it's always kind of a fun little thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that you you know especially with scattered site management where you have yeah. properties all over the place, right. it can be difficult to create community. But if sounds like you're doing it nonetheless, you have online. so our our online is kind of we we've made this our online community. I mean, you can always reach us online. Our, the way that um, our texting software allows us, allows anybody to text us, and there's always somebody there on the other end, except after hours usually, right? But um, so they can reach us, they can um, come into our office, and we try to make it very friendly and jovial and, and you know, have a drink and of water. <laughs> I should have clarified, or soda, or whatever. Um, and, you know, uh, the holidays, I, my staff gets really into the holidays a lot, and so they do, tend to do a lot of things around the holidays. And then it kind of goes back to as what we do as a company. So we try to do community service. So we'll, um, every quarter, um, my general manager, Janelle, she always thinks of some place that we can do some sort of community service because that's really important to so the community that we live in. Um, we believe in giving back and doing as much as we can. Um, then she also does team activities. So she'll create, like we, we did the escape room this summer. Okay. That was amazing and super fun. But we try to do fun things like that just as a team to also come together because as really, I mean, you're spending the most time with your 
staff every day, more some, sometimes than you do with your family. And so it's really important to create a team environment so that when people come in, they can actually tell we all get along and we all like each other. Yep. Very nice. Well, listen, now I've got a question from the audience. So let me just pull this up sure. here quick. Hi, I'm Matt, and this is Hercules, and we have a question about cash for keys, uh, which is an option uh, to consider instead of eviction. So in, when you're doing cash for keys, how much should you offer the tenant to hand over the keys and leave the apartment? That's a good question. And that, again, that's kind of a tricky question because remembering that we manage for different owners, part of our discussion would be, let's go back to the owner. Where That's where we become an advocate. We're looking at that risk mitigation. What's the best possible scenario? Nobody wants to go to court. Nobody wants to be evicted. They don't want it on their record. We really just don't want to go to court. Um, I mean, it's, it's how can we um, minimize that problem? I will say um, we have a very low eviction rate on purpose. We do a very good job screening our prospects to be, you know, our applicants to become tenants. We do deny a lot of tenants or applicants because we want to make sure that we're putting the best possible person into that property based on what the owner's hoping to have, also based on the law, you know, what we're following. Um, when it comes to cash for keys, we've done this. And I think what it is, is it's case by case. So it's looking at each situation. Well, how far behind are you? I mean, we hope we're not like two or three months. If we are, then we've done something wrong. Again, that comes back to us and our processes. Um, looking at their scenario, we get life happens. And these are one of those life lessons that I've learned over the last 19 years is that situations happen. Tenants lose their jobs death in the family. This is where we become understanding and sympathetic. And we have to pass that knowledge on to the owner and say, this is the best possible outcome is to let them, you know, either let them walk away. Or if an owner, we've had owners come to us and say, I need to sell my property for whatever reason, something happened on the owner's side. And again, we're trying to be understanding. Then we offer the tenant an option to say, we're going to give you X amount of money to leave because this is the situation. Unfortunately, the tenant is in a legal binding contract. So if they choose not to leave, there's almost nothing we can do unless we can come to an agreement. Now, if the tenant is in a situation where they have to leave, that's where we just negotiate what's the best possible scenario. And then we have to look at also our guarantees that we've given to the owner. So we have a guarantee if for whatever reason the tenant leaves during that life of the lease that we're going to replace that tenant for free. Because if they've defaulted on their rent, for whatever, or I should say default on their contract is probably a better way. Um, and they up and leave, abandon the property, or we do something like that. We're going to have to replace that tenant for free and not charge the owner. Okay. Is that guarantee for the entire length of the contract? It is for, it's the guarantee, it, it, the guarantees kind of mirror the, the lease. Okay. So um, our contracts with the owners don't mirror the lease term because your leases can stagger. Yeah. And so, um, but if we place a tenant, we're going to guarantee that tenant. So we can't guarantee rent. I don't think anybody I've ever met in my entire life has ever been able to guarantee rent because you can't guarantee anybody can pay their mortgage. So you can't guarantee the monetary piece of it, but I can guarantee that we are going, we we're backing what we've done, that screening. And if we place that tenant, we'll guarantee it. If we didn't place the tenant, we can't put that guarantee in place. Yep. Makes sense. Well, I can see why, where each situation is going to really be different. Right. But it's, it's good to know that, know that this tool is available if that might help the situation exactly. resolve itself. Yeah. Right. So, well, listen, I got to talk to my audience real briefly here. Sure. Um, 
as you just noticed, we had a question from the audience. And I would like to invite anybody else, if you've got kind of a burning question that you'd like to ask a property manager or how to handle a situation at your properties, feel free to submit that to us. There will be a little instructions in the show notes. And so we'd love to just continue with the audience participation in that way. So thank you. Okay, so I want to move on to um, income and expenses. Okay. Um, because we know that these have a huge determination in the value of the property, especially if it's in a larger property that's mm -hmm. truly uh, valued based on the net operating income. So what tools or processes have you found to increase that income, decrease those expenses? So there's a lot of things that we kind of do when it comes to helping owners manage their um, asset that's a larger, um, that has multiple doors. Um, one of the things is before they buy a property, we are willing, we'll do this for free. If they want, we will help them understand the cap rate on that. If the, if the realtor that they're working with, because we're, we're totally fine with working with whomever they have um, engaged with, we want to make sure that on the, real, the property management side, that they're actually going to turn some sort of a profit. If it may not even be the first year, which is pretty typical, right? The first year, sometimes the second year, depending on the size of the property, depending on the average rents, um, because we may have to turn the units as they come, as they expire. And when that happens, then what we do is we help them renovate the units, increase the value of the unit, um, looking at their bathrooms and their kitchens, obviously. The rest of it may be just simple carpet and paint. Um, fixtures are a big one. So we try to look at what we can do to maximize the rent for each unit individually. What we're looking at is also common areas. I, I, I even look at like meters and how things are metered because that can determine how we're billing back utilities or who's responsible for what utilities. And so we kind of look at all of that. The Also, the outside structure of a property we're looking at, I mean, does it have that curbside appeal, and do we need to work on that first? Because that, that's usually that first step, right? First impressions. Um, and so if owners, you know, uh, investors are willing to do that and spend the time to do that, that's a great investor, and then it's more of a partnership. It's not really that, you know, it's a different kind of relationship. And so we're partnering with them. Um, we're, we actually charge a flat fee. So that's kind of a benefit to the investor. So by charging a flat fee and not a percentage, there's not, I'm, there's no, um, we're not making any more money on trying to improve the property, but at the same time, it's important for us to improve the property so we can retain tenants. Because if we can't retain tenants, we don't get paid unless rent's received and those units are occupied. So we actually want to improve the quality of the units. That's super important to make sure, one, we get a better quality tenant that's going to take care of the property and we get a long-term tenant. That's always important. So we don't want to see tenants actually stay longer than three years. It's been um, statistically proven that if they stay too long at a property, they actually become really comfortable in a property and there's more damage done and depreciation with the deposit is not, you can't use it as much. So if you have a tenant that stays between one and three years, there's a lot of depreciation we can still take if there's damage done to the property. So for example, what I mean by that is if I put in brand new carpet, the life of carpet may have five to seven years depending on the grade of the carpet. If it's rental grade, it's about five years. If the tenant was in there three years and it was brand new when they moved in and they have one of those, you know, they put an iron down on it or they damaged some of it in the middle of it and I have to replace that whole room, well, I can't charge them dollar for dollar for the exact replacement, but I can charge them a depreciated amount. But if they stayed longer than five years, I can't charge them. 
and owners get frustrated because they don't understand that and that would lose in court in a heartbeat. So a judge would just look at that and say, no, it's, it exceeds the life of the carpet. And same with paint and fixtures and appliances. We have to take, that's why, again, it's important to hire a professional to handle this piece of it. We understand that piece of the law and we can help owners and educate them on what we can and cannot deduct from a security deposit because that's where that emotional piece comes in. Yep. I've never heard that before that you should uh, potentially not have the tenant stay so long. So I know. How and does people that always practically... Get well, so we only, you know, do your long leases uh, for numerous reasons. One, you know, the tenant may not like us and the tenant may not be a great tenant and um, for whatever reason. So just do a, a lease every year. Every year, then we have the opportunity to look at, you know, what's the market doing? Can we increase the rent? Do we need to renovate this unit? Do we need to move that tenant to another unit because we're a great tenant? So we're looking and literally calculating all of this all at once. And we start that process about 90 days out before the lease end date. So we're really working and communicating with the owner, with the tenant, making sure that the lease renewal is happening. Um, and then after three years, but again, in place, part of it is us looking at the property a few times a year. So the idea is to go into the property, see how the tenant is taking care of it. We do have some tenants who are long-term tenants who have been longer than three years, but we are into that, we're in that property enough that we're comfortable letting them stay there. The education piece for the owner is understand, now when that tenant leaves after seven years, that carpet that was perfect when they moved in, it's raggedy now, we probably should change it. And so it's going to cost you this much money to do that. And so we want owners to understand that the profit that they may have made during that seven years could be completely wiped out if I have to repaint, recarpet, do new appliances. So those are the things that we try to work and understand and help the owner calculate, really. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep, that makes sense. And I like what you said at the beginning of your answer there that you really help to see how you can improve the desirability of the property, both mm -hmm. inside and out. Yeah. I think that right there is huge. Uh, we hear a lot about value-add opportunities yeah. when investors are buying, and they very often need a good property manager who's going to understand how to handle and, those improvements. And because that's kind of where I started out in my business doing that and rehabbing properties, that's what I've trained my staff to understand. So I have a great um, business development manager, and she and I will either go out and we'll meet the owners, and we can walk through the property. So if they're looking at buying a property and they want us to come out and look at it, we're going to give them our honest and biased opinion and tell them this is everything that you need to do to improve the property. This is a good buy. This is not a good buy. This is the cap rate. This is what you can get for rent. This is what we can possibly increase the rent to. Let us look at the leases. Let us look at the costs of the utilities. This is what their realtor is probably already giving them. We're just looking at it from a completely different angle. If we have to manage, this is a different kind of relationship. Realtors have that relationship as a one-time transaction, sometimes multiple, right? Because you have relationships with investors. But we're looking at the, it, it's a monthly transaction, right? We're constantly in that unit. We're constantly dealing with the tenants, always communicating with the owners. So it's a very different relationship that we have with the owner and with the property. Yep. Wonderful. So just to dive in a little bit more on the expense side of that, mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest fears that a property owner might have when initially handing over their property to a management company is that their expenses are going to go out of control. Yeah, I've heard that. Not with us. I mean, our we don't take on properties to, unless it's absolutely needed, 
our, our whole relationship should never be started off with, oh my gosh, this is a, you know, a dump. We on our end, we better have done our due diligence. So if we didn't do our due diligence, then there's something wrong. So we oftentimes do get properties that have been neglected either by other property management companies or a property manager um, independently, um, or the owner themselves didn't do a great job and they moved out of state. So if we are getting that property, our due diligence is to let them know up front, this is what we have to do. Some of it is compliance stuff. Um, I've had owners not be compliant even just with rental ordinances. And so that is an expense. But the goal is to tell them this all up front so it's not a surprise. I hate surprises. Actually, I hate surprises in life as well. So I don't want, I, I can relate that I wouldn't want that as an owner. And it's the same thing. With, it's, it's this risk though. But I, I will say on the flip side, the risk of owning investment property is that there is going to be costs involved. Tenants tend to be harder on properties than, than homeowners. You know, we can let a faucet, you know, be leaky for a while and know that we have to turn the handle just so to have it stop leaking until we're ready or can afford to, to replace it. With tenants, it's going to be a little bit different. So things are, you know, what quality of grade product are you putting into the property? What's in there? And if it's going to break easily, it's because of the quality. I don't believe in putting a band-aid on anything. So I really want to fix something right the first time. And if it's not, then it's on me and we'll get it done right. Nice. And, and tell me about the fact that you have a maintenance company as well. Mm -hmm. Is there any conflict of interest with no. That. So here's, here's the thing. We do have a maintenance company. And um, the, the reason why is because now I have that relationship with my own technicians to, I can control the outcome a little bit better. So if something's not done right, guess who it comes, it's now on me. Like, I'm going to make sure that you do it right. Because I have a lot of processes in place just for maintenance. I love maintenance. In fact, it's like one of my specialties. I love it and I enjoy it. And I love to see a property come together. So if something, if we've, um, you know, had our technician go out and it wasn't fixed the first time, I'm going to send them out and not charge the owner again. I mean, you don't always get that luxury with a third-party vendor. You really don't. Even if you're the owner managing it with a third-party vendor, um, you don't always get the luxury to say, hey, you got to come back and fix this. They may say that it's now something else. Um, we do allow owners, if they want, to bring in their own licensed person but we won't manage the process. So we can't take on the risk of having somebody who they claim is their vendor that we did not vet. And we have to make sure if we have, we're bringing people on either on staff or a third party, because I don't have an HVAC vendor on staff, but I have a third party one that I've worked with for years and we have a great relationship. But just because, you know, my, I get audited every year by my insurance company and I have to give them all of that information. So if I don't have workers comp, if I don't have their general liability insurance, if I don't have any of that, I can't use them as a sub. So with owners, if they're taking on the responsibility of wanting to fix something, they actually have to take on the responsibility to coordinate with the tenant and the vendor and the billing. We can't do that for them because we'll take on that risk. And, and if you think about it, the tenant, if a vendor did a really bad job doing something or something happened or something got stolen, heaven forbid, then that has to fall on. We, we communicate right to the tenant to say in the beginning before work's going to get done, the owner is taking care of it. They're going to contact you and they're going to arrange everything or that vendor's going to contact you. And this is handled by the owner. We want to make sure that they understand that we didn't have control, but I understand also it's the owner's asset. So if they feel they can get a better deal, 
then they're welcome to do it. Oftentimes, I will tell you that, that we are a better deal on pricing because we buy things in bulk and wholesale. So that all comes right into our warehouse and it's we have basically, we have our own vans, so everything's stocked. So we don't have to make trips to Home Depot a hundred million times, it's all included. Well, that's huge right there, ha having things in stock because yes. if you hire a handyman, it's an hour to get to the project, then hour to diagnose it, and hour two yeah. hours to get to so the Home Depot. So part of our process, and part of a, you know, not that this is my trade secret or anything, but we really focus on troubleshooting the issue up front. If it's a tenant-related issue, meaning, for example, a garbage disposal, so a tenant says it's no longer working, we're obviously going to go through the troubleshooting things of what you should do. To, you know, okay, it's still not working. Okay, if we go out there and our technician goes out there and it's something that you caused. And we've had pennies, I've had rocks, I've had hair. We charge that back to the tenant. That's not the owner's fault. That's above normal wear and tear. So that's where owners like us as well and having our own maintenance company because we'll charge it back to the tenant. It's their, it's their responsibility to pay. And we are very upfront with the tenant. It's in their contract and it's what we tell them before we get out to the property. And if, and they understand, you know, this is what has to be done. We don't do any um, once want fixes, meaning a tenant going, well, I really want this done. If it's not anything that's detrimental, you know, like they have to have it done or it's just, a need, you know, not a need, um, then we may not, we can reject the work order because the owner may not pay for it. So. Yep. All right. Very good. Well, I think you already covered my next segment, which was just your role during acquisition. It sounds yeah. like you're very involved in there. So let's just move on to kind of some market projections. Now, okay. I don't expect you to be an expert analyst, but just based on mm -hmm. your boots on the ground experience, you know, how long is it taking to lease up a property okay. compared to a couple years ago? So our average days vacant is 16. And um, so we have, again, the metrics in place. I'm a, I, I'm a reporting geek when it comes to this stuff. I measure a lot of different KPIs. So I know down to a science how long th certain things take. I, I know how long it takes us for do a turnover. I know the costs involved on doing work orders and turnovers and things like that. So our average days on market is 16. It doesn't mean it won't, you know, some days it will, some units will take longer. Higher end properties, especially now, do take longer. I will say though, interestingly enough, I have found in the last couple of years, if we have a property over $2,500 in rent, um, we can actually do a really good job in renting it in December and January, which seems odd because it's like the worst, it's the worst month in December to, you know, or in the season to lease out a property. But we have also found this is when like executives who the, that can afford the higher end properties, they're taking time off of work. Um, you've hired new executives coming in or um, new senior level people that come in. So they're transferring in or um, their leases are up or, or they've sold their house and they need something temporarily. So we actually do a pretty good job on the higher end properties during some of the winter, the slower times of the year. Um, the national average is about 14 days um, on days vacant. So again, part of it's going to be region-based, market-based and things like that. Um, we have found that we're leasing a lot of properties lately. So we're not more so than last year. Last year, um, 2018, end of towards the big spring of 2017, and then it kind of fills it off. But then all of 2018, we had a lot of people end up selling property. It was a good time for them to sell. 
Um, now we're seeing that on the uptick. So we're actually not seeing owners sell as much. The ones that really want to hold on to them are holding on to them or buying more. Okay. And rents we know have been increasing quite a bit in the last few years. Yes. Do you think that's continuing on or is it going to stabilize? I think it really will. It's really, it's interesting. It is dependent on the housing market, right? So it depends on the availability of houses that are affordable to tenants and what they can afford and what they have to put down. If they're first, if they're a first time buyer, there's obviously a lot of incentives for them. And we understand that. But if they're not, and sometimes we get a lot of people who are not first time home buyers that are renting, it's more difficult. And so some people just enjoy renting because they don't like the responsibility. They want us to be able to up and leave in a couple of years. Some people like to, it's like, it's like changing or leasing a car every three years. You know, you want a new car. Some people just want a new house. And so there's always going to be that pool of people in that market that we can lease out to. I always say that leasing is a win-win situation. So owning rental property is never a bad thing. It's great when the market's bad and it's great when the market's good for obvious reasons. And so if an owner is, has the ability to, you know, the income to be able to hold on to rental property, I encourage them to do it. Don't sell it because it will exponentially just increase in value and rents do continue to go up. I don't think that they'll stabilize anytime soon. Um, I think every year, probably for a couple more years, will probably increase until there's some sort of a break. Okay. Very good. Well, we've covered quite a bit here mm -hmm. today. We did. Um, before I let you go, I want to give the audience just one more chance sure. to know a little bit more about you. And so a couple of questions here. First, okay. why do you get up in the morning? Why do I get up in the morning? I love what I do. I really do. I am passionate about this. It's fun. I actually am one of those few people that really enjoy working and would choose, which is really probably a sickness more than anything. I would choose to work over vacation or I would find a vacation where I could do some work. It's enjoyable to me. Very good. Um, so what event or person in your past was pivotal for, in your journey to becoming who you are today? I, well, okay. So um, when I was, I think what, probably made me who I am today, which is kind of a weird thing, is um, I served a mission for my church when I was 22 for a year and a half. And I can tell you there's nothing more frightening than knocking on doors of strangers and having those doors slammed in your face. In the end, what it made me was a very bold um, person, one who can accept rejection in some ways, right? And who can overcome adversity. Nice. Very good. Um, okay, and then if any of our audience would like to get in touch with you to sure. learn more about your services or other, you know, just pick your brain about management, Yeah. Uh, what's the best way that she, they should reach so, out? So um, we're on social media. So we're everywhere on social media, on Facebook, LinkedIn, and um, Instagram. So it's real-time leasing, and it's all one word. And our website is realtimeleasing.com. And there's contact forms. Um, you can contact us through our phone number, through... Um, chat. We have an online chat and we have texting. It's all available right on that front page of our website. All right. Very good. And I just want to, you know, express my appreciation for you coming sure, in today, um, taking time out of your day to discuss this with us. So I want to give you a small gift and that is this maximizing awesome. your property Thank value you. mug Thank and you. a quick informal poll. Are you more likely to put coffee or hot chocolate or hot something chocolate, else? Yes. Yes, yes, today. Yes, hot chocolate. Okay. <laughs> Very good. 
All right. Again, thank you. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. Uh, this was a great discussion. And uh, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you can hear the next conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Take care. Bye. The opinions shared on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as a solicitation for representation or investment in any specific offering. Please consult with your financial, legal, tax, and real estate advisor before making any investment decisions. John Stiles is a licensed Minnesota real estate agent with Bridge Realty. Thanks for tuning in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. If you're considering scaling up, downsizing, or right-sizing your real estate investment portfolio, it's important to know how to determine your property's value in today's market. That's why I've put together a free ebook for you called How to Calculate Your Investment Property's Value. To get your copy, go to www.realestatestyles.com forward slash value. Now, if you found any value in today's show, be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter, YouTube channel, and podcast through your favorite podcast player. All the links are in the show notes. And would you do me a big favor? Help me get the word out about this show by sharing with your friends on Facebook and LinkedIn. And lastly, we appreciate your five-star rating on iTunes. I really appreciate you and wish you the best in your real estate investing career. Signing off, I'm John Stiles with Bridge Realty. Make it a great day. Music.